you, choir. Thank you, musicians. Appreciate that. Thank God to the Lamb, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb that one day we're going to see face to face, aren't we? And it's almost like you see Him sometime. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come today. Wouldn't that be a great day for Him to come? I want to speak to you on freedom at a cost. And it did cost us to have freedom. Now, I know we're doing two things today, and this is near the Independence Day, which will be on Wednesday, and we'll be celebrating our independence of the United States of America over all these years, and it did not come free. It did not come free. Our independence did not come free. It cost something. I know it cost a lot of money. I know it cost a lot of possessions. I know it cost a lot of things, but it cost more than that. Have you ever wondered what happened, and I know you've heard this before, but did a 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, five signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before their death for your freedom. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons serving in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured for your freedom and mine. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the Revolutionary War. They signed and they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honors. What kind of men were they? Twenty-four were lawyers and jurists. Eleven were merchants. Nine were farmers and large plantation owners. Men of means. Well-educated. But they signed the old Declaration of Independence knowing full well that their penalty would be death if they were captured. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships swept from the seas by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts, and he died in rags. A man that was willing to do that for your freedom. Thomas McLean was so honored by the British that he was forced to move his family almost amid, oh, hounded, not honored, but he had, was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in the Congress without pay. Wouldn't that might be a good idea today, mightn't it? And his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him, and poverty was his reward. A signer of the Declaration of Independence. Vandals of soldiers looted the properties of Daly Hall, or Daly Hall, and I have a hard time pronouncing Symer, Walton, Gannett, Hayward, Rutledge, and Middleton. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson Jr. noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over the Nelson home for his headquarters, and he quickly 
urged George Washington to open fire. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt. Francis Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife, and she died within a few months. For your freedom and mine. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was lay, uh, day, uh, dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and his grits mill were laid to west, uh, rest. For more than a year, he lived in the forest and caves, returning home to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few months later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart. Norris and Livingston suffered similar fates for your freedom and mine. Such were the stories and sacrifices of American Revolution. Those were not wild-eyed, rabble-rousing ruffians, as someone has described. They were soft-spoken men means, and of educated background. They had security, but they valued liberty that you and I have today more. They stood tall, straight, and unwavering, and they pledged for the support, and I quote, for the support of this declaration with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They gave you and me free and freedom and independence in the United States of America. Someone wrote on, the history books never told you a lot about what happened in the Revolutionary War. We didn't fight just the British. We were British subjects at that time, and we fought our own government. Some of us take these liberties so much for granted, but we shouldn't. So the article goes on, take a few minutes while enjoying your 4th of July today, and holiday, and silently thank these patriots, if not so much asked for the price they paid, remember freedom is never, ever free. We have folk in this room who have served in service of this country. I have talked to some of you, and some of you reminded me that you were there, that we, you and I, that are in this room today, could have freedom, and we're able to sit in this building and worship today. We know that as we speak today, we have a president in office today that it, whether we believe in Democrat or Republican, he's our president. He's the president of the United States of America at this time in history. And he is doing, I believe, along with the vice president, everything that they can to help to preserve the freedom that we have they're getting ridiculed. They're getting threatened. They have threats every day. If you listen to the news, even the children are threatened. And some of the most vulgar things said about the president's family and his wife. 
and about some other officers that are in the state or in the department of, of helping keep this place as free as possible. We need to pray for those people. I'm not standing in this pulpit today to say that our leaders are perfect. I know they're not. They're just like we are, or we're just like they are. We make mistakes as we go along the way. We may not like their decisions. In fact, I don't. I don't like all the decisions that are coming down the pike. I'm, I'm, I don't say that I'm 100% behind every choice that they make. That's okay. I have that freedom, and that's why these men gave up almost everything they had as they were writing the Declaration of Independence, and as they made that, they put it into action that we could have and preserve also the history, but that we had the freedom to act and to do. We do not have the freedom to destroy someone else's freedom, though. Where I I have this question to ask today. Freedom is freedom, isn't it? I mean, we're free to be and act under freedom. But where does freedom stop? Where does freedom stop? If I infringe on your freedom, is that right? If you infringe on my freedom, is that right? I'm just giving that as a thought today. Where does freedom stop? So therefore, there has to be cooperation, doesn't it? There has to be somehow of a fellowship. There has to be somehow some some feelings, of mutual feelings, that we're in this together and that we want to preserve the freedom of the United States of America, meaning that I will be willing to give and I will be willing to take. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I'm sad today that we're going through and our freedoms are threatened every day. And uh, we're, we see that almost in every uh, place of life. We see it in the sports world. We see it in some of our main colleges and seminaries. We see it even in some churches. We see it in some people who are so-called Christians or who are uh, thinking perhaps that they may be. And we see it everywhere we go in the government offices all over the United States of America. How did we see that the flag is threatened? Whenever I see the flag distorted and I see it torn and I see it spit on and I see it thrown on the ground and stomped on and when I see a match set to it and large crowds are around hooraying it, I'm wondering where their thoughts are. What do they really mean? What are they doing? I'm sure that some are just caught up in the process. But it makes me angry to see that. Because listen, what they're doing is destroying the freedom that we have to be able to worship as we're worshiping today. And the freedom for you to go to a job tomorrow, today... The freedom for you to save money, the freedom for you to have things, the freedom for you to travel and to go wherever you want to go. If you can, if you can pay for it, if you can go, some of us go sometime without being able to pay for it. We just go. We just enjoy it. We just go out there and enjoy it. But that's freedom. That's freedom. And I would encourage you today not to take that for granted. 
I would encourage us never to take it for granted. We may disagree with each other, as I suggest, over uh, politics, and we may disagree over uh, the way things are done, and we have that opportunity. That even happens within the church because, you see, if we don't have some opposition and we don't have some disagreement, then it will get kind of like an old habit and we will find ourselves just doing, just to be doing, and we'll start taking it for granted. But it has a way of reminding us and pulling us back to who we are and what we are and where we're going Now, I wanted to do two things today. We're celebrating our freedom as citizens. We want to help other people of the world to have some of the same. And we're doing some things to do that. But I want us to turn our attention today to the freedom that you have. Yes, you have The Constitution gives you freedom to sit and worship. No one's standing here at the door telling you you cannot come in or be afraid if you go out, even though that's threatened. And we see that there are those who come in and shoot up worshipers, blow up houses, houses of worship. I think that that's something that I would be afraid to have on my conscience and my hand when I stood before God. But we may do it in other ways. We can do it in other ways that we don't have to blow it up with a physical bomb or shoot anyone with a physical pistol and shoot a real bullet or do whatever of that sort. We can do other means and have other means of doing that. And I would encourage you today that we would recognize we're going to be serving the Lord's Supper today. And that's our main emphasis, then the freedom that we have in the Lord, a symbol teaching us and reminding us of who we are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And what he wants us to continue to do and to be as we go. If you have a copy of God's word in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul has something to say. Basically, he's just taking what Jesus said on the night that he was instituting the Lord's Supper. And he was sharing with us uh, that passage. He was sharing to the people of the church. And the Corinth church had, uh, I would suggest that probably would remind us of us sometimes if we would read and study all of it. And uh, you say, do you mean that we find ourselves in all of it? I would say there would be times in our ministries and in our lives that we would find ourselves, our churches, situated in some of the uh, the scenarios that are mentioned, as Paul mentions here. And Paul Paul loved the Corinthian church. He cared for them. But they had kind of moved away from what was the right thing. They were moving back toward the law. They were moving back toward uh, uh, the law before Jesus had died. And, and they, many of them had a hard problem believing that Jesus had really died. Similar today, isn't it? We have people that we talk to, I'm sure you do. Uh, people cannot understand how that one man could die and that he could be perfect and he could take away the sins of the world. 
But it is so. And, and even those of us who trust God, if we're not careful, at many times we find ourselves living under a law as well and not living under freedom. And so Paul is reminding these folk as he was sharing with them uh, the Lord's Supper, as he was sharing with them what it was about. And so we get to chapter 11, verse 23. He's been talking to them about how to act in the church and all of those things. But when we get to verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. This is Paul speaking. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he had betrayed, was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you <laughs> proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Now Paul was quoting verbatim the words of Jesus in verse 24. For eat this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25 again verbatim. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, remembrance of me. The new covenant. Now, he was a breaking away from the law. He was fulfilling what the law had suggested and how that Moses' law had directed people. And you will see the picture of Jesus in all the laws as it is Fulfilled, And Jesus said, I have fulfilled the law. And so he dies, and, and, and of course, he, before he dies, he institutes the supper. Now, he said, for when we come to this table, therefore, when whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord, he's just reminding us, you and I that come to this table this morning, and eat this bread or drink of this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Remind you that that does not say in an unworthily manner. In fact, there is, two, there is some difference here because you see, none of us in this room are worthy to partake of this supper. None of us have any good in us whatsoever that even makes us deserve taking this table. None of us in this room. But if we come to the table and we do not have a clarity of spirit in our heart and in our mind, and if there are things that would be between us and other people, are between ourselves and God, he's simply saying to us, we need to do something. We need to come before God, or we need to go to people. And whatever that may be, if we perhaps have wronged someone, we need to go to them and say to them, 
brother or sister, I have wronged you. They may come back to you and they may say, and I've had this said to me, and not here but other places, and people would say to me, well, you, I, you, I didn't know anything about it. I don't, you know, you have, that's okay, that's just human, you know, that's all right, go on. But others have, have taken it seriously and they've said, you know what, I appreciate you coming and making that with me and saying to me that you were sorry for the way you said or acted or treated me. And there was a handshake or maybe a hug. And then both came to the altar together to be able to take of the Lord's Supper. Being able to do it unworthily would be having a, or having a, that in my heart that I'm harboring towards someone. Something in my heart, I have a hard feeling towards someone. And then coming, he is saying that I'm taking this supper, as Paul is saying, as an unworthy person. I'm not worthy. He's saying to me, listen, I need to do something. So whatever it may be, and I may not even have touched on that. I may have sinned against God. I may have done something that were wrong. You see, I'm not depicting a, a, a perfect Christianity, but I'm depicting today and I'm preaching one of love and forgiveness like Jesus preached and he did. And he told us on several occasions that if our brother offend us to go, and how many times? Seven times seven, it'd be more than that. So it would be, it, there's no end to that. Whatever kind of, uh, situation that that may we be in. If I'm living a life that is separate from God, I'm a Christian, but I'm living a life separate from God. I'm going a separate direction away from God. He is saying, then I need to come to the altar. Notice what he said, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. But let him and a man examine himself, let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, listen, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Now, it's not necessarily saying if you, if you come to this table today in an unworthy manner, that you're going to go out and be sick. He, he's not saying that necessarily. But he is talking about that we're sick spiritually if we don't talk to the Lord and we should today, before we take of this supper, talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I come to you this morning. Do not say, if there is something in my life. But you know, the Holy Spirit reminds us what may be there. We may have done something. You see, I, I, I've just talked about uh, uh, just a relationships between each other. But could there be a controlling relationship in our lives toward other Christians? 
whether church, whether community, whether home, whether uh, wherever we work, wherever we go, like the government is doing today in a controlling fashion over us. And he says, if we come to the table, still not before God, as he's spoken to us and reminded me, Larry, and he brings to my attention something that, ha- that has and is breaking my relationship or fellowship with God. Not the relationship, but a fellowship with God. Let me ask you something. When you do wrong, do you feel a sense of remorse? When I do wrong, do I feel a sense of remorse? If I don't, I may be in trouble. I may be in trouble. There's times that I've gone a little longer than other times before I felt remorse because I would, I would try to you know, explain away to myself why that I did or why I didn't do what I did or what I didn't, you know, I, I try to explain to myself, try to explain it out. But, you know, I go away and I start feeling a little better about it and all at once, He comes back to me again and it reminds me, that's a conscious. That's a conscious. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. So, as I suggested a moment ago, if we go to God in prayer, it's not saying, God, if I have, but Lord, I have. And I need to get this right with you. Maybe just with God, just plainly with God. Maybe God told you to do something. Maybe he's called you to do something. Maybe he's asked you to give something to someone. Maybe he, there's all kind of questions and we rebelled against. That is a brokenness. And we need to say, you know, you say, well, that just sounds so silly. That sounds so childish. But you know, the Bible says we have to come as a little child as we come to the presence in the kingdom of God. And so we would say, God, I'm sorry. And you name that. And I want to tell you something. As soon as you name that, what does it do to you? There is a feeling of release, doesn't it? That comes over you. That comes over you. The sad thing is that I've ministered to people over the years that would tell me that they had carried something in their heart. They would not tell or say, or do what God said do for years and years and years. And they've come to me and said, Preacher, it has literally kept me from doing what I need to do. And I want to get that right today with God. And they would get it right with God, and you could just see the peace that came over them. Well... This is what he's saying. For this reason, there are many weak and sick among you, and many sleep. He's not, as I said, it's not necessarily saying that you'll get sick today, but it could be making us sick spiritually because there is that rebellion that we feel. There is that, there is that battle that we feel that we're, as we take of the Lord's Supper. For if we would judge ourselves... We would not be judged. But when we're judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned 
with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. For if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I set in order when I come. Of course, you know the story there also, as Paul would, as he was writing, that there were those who actually, uh, they'd have a love feast, and there were those who came just for the meal, just to uh, eat. I mean, you know, it's a free meal, so here we are, we're going to eat today. And then they would do the Lord's Supper afterwards, and, and then they would go home. And he said he was condemning that. He wasn't condemning us eating in church like uh, many years ago. We used to preach that, that it was wrong for us to even eat in church. We misunderstood what Paul was saying and helping us understand that. So as we come together today, I would encourage you to remember. You see, it's a remembrance It's a picture of what the Israelites did back in Egypt. They killed the animal. They applied the blood to the doorpost. It sinuated a cross where they put the blood on that doorpost. And so Paul was bringing it to a group of people that understood what the Old Testament talked about, the blood and the bread. But Jesus was instituting another and saying, I'm fulfilling that picture that was started with those that I've asked and called to be my family, to trust them to lead life until I come, to lead the people of God till I come. Jesus came, gave his life, gave his blood, body was beaten, who you could not even recognize him, and then took that old cross. And you can imagine how hard it was as he would go, trying to get up that hill that day. Unrecognizable blood oozing out of his back, tendons showing, ribs showing. And he was struggling to get there, but As he got to the hill, and as he was there on that hill, they lay him down and they nail those nails in each hand and each feet. And then they would raise that cross and it would get up and it would hit in the bottom of that hole. How do you think a human being could have taken such agony. But Jesus was not dead. They did not kill him. And at the right time, at the right moment, the Bible says, after Jesus had said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He gave up the ghost and was dead. Not believing whether he was, he jammed a sword in his side. Blood came out, ran down the ground, ran down the cross to the ground. Don't you imagine that it splattered on those who did it? They took him down. They put him in a grave. He came out, hallelujah, victorious. And he's in heaven today and he's coming back. 
with all I've said today, freedom is not free. Freedom is not free. And as we take of the Lord's Supper today, I want to invite you to come to the table. Don't go away and say, I will not take it. But as we bow our heads in a word of prayer, I'm going to ask you today, and friend, if you'd come and lead us in this song, and as you, with your heads bowed today, would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, maybe you need to make a response. Hey, wouldn't it be revival if maybe we've wronged somebody and we just go to them and say, brother or sister, I'm sorry. Or perhaps we've done something else toward the church and, and we say to the church, church, and we might even be surprised. And we'd say, yes, thank you. As we sing this song today, I'm going to ask you to examine your own heart. I can't see into anybody's heart today. Neither can anyone else here. And I thank God for that. It's Jesus that does that. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. And I'm going to ask you now, as we sing, to examine our hearts. Let's stand. Jesus paid it all. Hymn number 249.